Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to Backstage With. Conversations with your favourite theatre actors and creatives. I'm Mikey Worrell. Today's guest is the only person in the world to have been cast as Elphaba and Glinda in Wicked. So far in her career, she starred in shows including Evita, Sideshow, Guys and Dolls, Jekyll and Hyde, Grease, and Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. She has one of the most powerful and recognisable voices in musical theatre, and just this week she released a streamed concert that was recorded at the Umbrella Rooms in London. Here's my conversation with Louise Dearman. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Oh, thanks for having me. How has lockdown been for you? A, a bit of a, it's a real cliche to say it, but a bit of a roller coaster. Like when it all kicked off, it was sheer panic and literal panic attacks and just like what on earth is going on. And then we all settled into a let's be positive, let's be optimistic, let's do something. And so there were tons of live streams and lots of recordings for charity and just keeping busy. And then we get into this bit of a lull. And now we're just in this kind of uncertain world of you kind of get dangled a carrot, we're going to be doing it soon, and then that gets pulled away. So I've just decided to just try and keep going, focus on being a mum, focus on my little projects that I've got going on, and just try not to count down the months and worry about when it's going to happen because we just don't know. So it's been a bit of a weird one. Do you know what? I have to say there's been so many so many awful things about it but there have been positive things that have come out of it definitely spending time with your family and actually appreciating things a lot more I sort of miss performing so much and I think I'm very fortunate that I've had a lovely busy career but you you do take it for granted sometimes and I know that I did now I didn't think I did but I definitely did so I think it'd be emotional when we all get back to it definitely have you been singing lots at home to sort of scratch that performer itch Quite a bit. I mean, I'm not very good at singing at home. I get a bit self-conscious about my neighbours. I'm like, God, they're going to hate me. But I have had to rehearse for things. I have had to record things. And very often it's in the evening when Willow's asleep, my little girl. So I'm kind of up here at the highest point in the house trying to belt, but not too loud. But yeah, and I've been doing some singing lessons, which has been lovely with some students from Wilkes Academy, where I'm a patron. And yeah, and I'm doing a a streamed concert at the end of the month, so I've been working on that material as well. Have you found any new songs, not necessarily newly written, but is there new material that you've discovered that you're just enjoying singing during this time, whether it's being recorded or just while you're cleaning or, you know, stuck in the dishwasher? Definitely, definitely is what I seem to be doing way too much. Yeah, definitely. And I think that comes from watching loads of friends do their thing online, whether it's Instagram Lives or the streamed concerts I've tried to support and tune in and pay for that as much as I possibly can and yeah definitely I mean the the concert that I'm doing for the Umbrella Rooms live there's tons of stuff that I've wanted to sing for years and kind of forgot about it and then thought what I need to do this I need to just bite the bullet and do it like this is a great time give the fans something interesting to listen to instead of the the usual stuff that they're probably bored to tears no, with. No, I'm sure they are. I mean, we all love the usual stuff, but we like new stuff on, on top of. of yeah, yeah, yeah. So any any titles that you can throw our way? Meadowlark from The Baker's Wife. I mean, 
We're talking, I was 12. Have you, never, I, have you never sung that? Never sung it. And I was 12 when I first heard it because I had the little cassette album of Lindsay Haightley's because I was in Joseph in the choir when I was little. And I remember hearing the song and loving it. And I've heard it so many times over the years, different renditions, and I've never done it. And I was like, right, that is going in Stars in the Moon, Songs for a New World. Have heard it tons over the years, never sung it, and then saw the Lambert Jackson production of Songs for a New World. And my gorgeous girl, Tucker, Rachel Tucker, was singing it. And I was like, oh, that's just epic doing that. So I just, yeah, grabbing a few of them. I can just imagine you sitting there going, oh, mine, thank you. Yeah, but also sat there going, oh, my God, should I even touch it? Uh, why not? Let's just give it a go. <laughs> yeah, fabulous. So, a few, yeah, quite a few things in there. So I was reading up about all the things you've done uh, during your career, and I didn't know that your first big job was the touring production of Joseph back in 1998 as the narrator. Yeah. And that tour was actually the first show I ever saw. Stop it. Yeah, so if you went to Bradford in 1998, there is a good chance that I saw you. I mean, I probably did. I mean, I can't really remember what I did yesterday, let alone 1998. But um, yes, I did the tour for six months. There's a, there's a good there's a chance. There's a good chance. There is a good chance. So I, I, yeah, that blew my mind. And it's annoying because I have the programme from the first West End show I ever saw, but not oh, from not Joseph. So I can't find out and that kills me because I'm such a oh, details-oriented person. That was a 12-show-a-week job, that one. 12? 12. Oh my... I mean... Can you believe that? It sounds painful. Harsh. Painful. I mean, I don't know how I did it. Especially when you're belting, like, Potiphar and... All the range. All of it. Pharaoh's story yeah. and all of that. Oh my God. It was fun though. It was good. Just didn't really have a life outside of it. It was all yeah, very much imagine. work, work, work. Gosh. Well, after that, you did Greece on tour and then in the West End. I know you said you were in the choir in Joseph with Lindsay Haightley as a child, but was Greece your first West End job as an adult? Yes, it was. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's right. At the, oh my gosh, the Victoria, Victoria Palace. Palace. That was it, yeah. You know, how, was. how was that? Did it live up to your dream? Yeah, definitely. I think it was, um, you know, it's when you go into training. I've been dancing since I was three years old. And then when I went to train when I was 16, it was just, that is the ultimate, you know, that's where you want to get to. And so it was really, really exciting. I'd done the Greece tour, I think, previously, and then mm -hmm. went into town with the show and Greece is such a fun show to be part of anyway and it was a, f a movie that I grew up watching and absolutely loving and weirdly during lockdown we had a reunion we had a little reunion yeah and all the cast were there on zoom and it was just fabulous the stories that we were sharing really great times you must have been so impressionable during that time what can you remember like the people that you were learning from and, and the experience you took away from it I just remember yeah it kind of it's a weird one because in in many shows I did, obviously I was like one of the younger and I was kind of somewhere in the middle with this one. So it was all still very, you, well, I certainly still had that feeling of it's very exciting, but also very nerve wracking to be doing that and feeling so appreciative and is this going to be my last show ever kind of thing and just soaking everything up like a sponge. But yeah, I mean, you know, Caroline Sheen was my Sandy. We had Steve Horton and uh, Greg Kahoot as, as Danny. And yeah, it was a really lovely company because there was not this kind of hierarchy. It was all very much, we were all in it together and all very supportive of each other. And I made some wonderful friends as well. So it was just lovely to be part of it. You went off to do Jekyll and Hyde and then moved on to Guys and Dolls yeah. um, when you covered Sarah Brown, which you went on to play. Yeah. 
I'm very intrigued though. When you went back in 2016 to play Miss Adelaide, yeah. was that always your plan? When you were playing Sarah Brown, were you like, I'm going to come back one day and do and well, do Miss Adelaide? I actually covered Sarah Brown and Miss Adelaide in town at the Piccadilly and I loved playing them both. And I think I knew when I was understudying Miss Adelaide, I kind of knew I'm not, it's not really an age appropriate role for me yet, but I was kind of, you know, I kind of blagged it. But um, yeah, I kind of thought I would love to go back when the time is right to play it in my own right, not just cover it, but play it. And so that was brilliant. I, I just, I, if I had to pick my favourite musical, it's Guys and Dolls. Really? Probably surprised many people because of course there are other shows I'm sure we'll talk about that are just epic and they were game changers for me. But Guys and Dolls for me, just it's, it's everything a brilliant musical should be. The score, the story, the characters, the choreography, everything about it and so I have a habit of going back into musicals but to do you know the ensemble and cover in town then go on tour with Sarah Brown then go back years later in a different production as Miss Adelaide every time was equally as exciting because I just adore the show so much. I'm very keen to ask you about Evita because I, I got to see you in that tour in 2008. Oh okay. I loved that production. Yeah I did I really did. That role is just iconic. I, there's no other word for it. How how was it for you getting that role? And did you look for inspiration from any other former Evas? Do you know, it's really, I tend not to look into how anybody else has played it or search for anything until I'm at a certain point in the audition process or until I've got the job. And then I'll just have a little nose. Because whether you do it on purpose or not you kind of take on things from what someone else has done there's nothing necessarily wrong with that because it's a you know it's a compliment to the actress doing it but I just really wanted to kind of do it my way and find my own way and I knew Bill Kenwright from doing Joseph for him um, and David Steadman as well musical director and so it was really nice to go in and audition for them and it was a, a lovely and pretty easy process auditions can be painful but it was a nice relaxed atmosphere it's one of those roles that for years you know since listening to Elaine Page and you know on the cast recording it's one of those you want to tick off you want to play that as a female actress as a female musical theatre actress and um yeah it was it was awesome it was incredibly tough though it's a tough role vocally it's very tough emotionally physically all of those things but it's also so rewarding how did it feel the first time you were on the balcony with an audience raising the arms and doing don't cry for me argentina what was going through your head it's amazing but you feel a certain pressure because you know that that is the song that pretty much everybody will know if they know nothing else none of the other music from evita they will know that one so it's a real moment and you really feel it you feel the adrenaline and the hush almost in the room when you hear da, 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 and you're slowly walking onto the balcony. And in our production, um, as I'm sure with many others, all the cast just turned up stage and just looked. Um, and it was, yeah, it was a real powerful, powerful moment. What was your favourite part of that show? I love the beginning where you've got the young Ava kind of innocent but also she has a strong mind she sort of knows what she wants she just doesn't quite know which way she's gonna which direction she's gonna go which path she's gonna take to get there actually there are many elements of that show that I loved I loved all those opening sequences I loved um all the rainbow high and then actually although it's quite morbid the scenes at the end with Peron were very special for me and Mark Hinahan who played Peron 
we just established a very strong friendship and connection on stage and so those are moments that in a weird warped way I quite enjoyed as well because it takes you to another level as an actor to really have to kind of dig deep especially with something that you haven't personally experienced you have to draw on many different things to be able to get there and to connect with the audience and make them believe and feel the story that you're telling. And of course, you got the song that was written for the film that they absorbed yeah. um, when they had the revival in town before the tour. Um, you Must, you must love, love Me. Me. Such a beautiful song. I mean, I remember watching you and just heartbreaking. It's That was a tough one to get through. You've got a real like strangled feeling, a lump in your throat and just that begging. Yeah, really hard but a real test and a real challenge which I always love. Not long after that you went on to do So Just End which (laughs) I loved. When you did it at the New Players I think there were like three or four nights I came twice in that week I just turned 18 and me and my friends absolutely loved it. It's it's hilarious. Gary Lake is a genius. He is a genius and it was it was so funny to be in it because you would sit in the rehearsal room and you would just be cracking up all day long. And you'd find little things every single day to add Billy Elliot. Oh my gosh, playing Billy Elliot. <gasps> I made a note here to, to compliment you on your Geordie accent. <laughs> I just started seeing my boyfriend who I've been with for 11 years. And he came to watch it. I was thinking, what am I doing? I'm going to put this guy off wandering on stage in my shorts and vest to be in Billy Elliot. But it's um, it was... So, so funny. And of course, Rachel Tucker, you know, we got to play Glinda and Alphabet and then weirdly both got cast in the show, which is just... We will talk all about this. Okay. Before we move on to that, I did want to say as well, your parody of As Long As He Needs Me, the reality <sighs> TV number, that run you did on the last word on TV. <laughs> Drama. Unmatched, though. Every time I hear that song, I'm like, why does nobody do that for real? Because I was so overdramatic and just going for my life. It was marvellous. I loved that as well. That was another good one. I forgot about that one. Yeah, I just watched about an hour ago. I just watched the, the 10 minutes highlights video just to remind oh myself. My gosh, reality TV. Just the, the lyrics are genius. Some pampered tart is spoiling Lionel Bart. It's bad. He's so good. He's so, so good. And then, of course, the Defying Gravity parody. Yes. Foreshadowing. <gasps> did, did you have any, any inkling at that point that it would happen? That, that, no. that you were two would be together a year later? No, absolutely not. Um, of course, I'd looked at the show and thought, I really want to I really want to do that show. And, and at the time, I really want to go in for Glinda. But no, I think it gave me a taste of it. Of course, both of us, you know, Rachel wanted to play Alpha, but I wanted to play Glinda. So it gave us a little taste of it. So we were just pure showing off. But I remember I was too scared to sing Defying Gravity in the rehearsal. I kept saying, I'll do it. I'll do it properly next time. I'll do it properly next time. I was just too scared to try it, which is really weird. Now I played it, but I was always like, I can't, I don't think I can do it. And it, it, I think I literally sang it out for the first time. I think I remember Gary saying, you've got to do it. You've got to try it full out once. Just go for it and see what happens. But um, adrenaline's a brilliant thing because that squeezes the notes out of your backside. But yeah, I just remember thinking, oh, I can't do this. So it's, it's odd that I actually did it. Had you auditioned for the show before you and Rachel got the parts? Uh, no, I don't know. That's really weird. No, we hadn't because I remember... It was after that we'd we'd got it and we both knew that each other were up for it and you're not supposed to talk, you're not supposed to tell anybody and it was like we, were, we discussed it afterwards that we were absolutely itching 
to call and say, um, is there something you're doing? Uh, just being really cryptic. But no, we hadn't at the time, I don't think. It was obviously a very short time after that, uh, just so just ended finished that we auditioned for it. It's just weird, isn't it, how that turned out? Just very strange. So weird. But I remember watching it and thinking, of course, this makes so much sense. Yeah. When you were allowed to talk about it, what was the order? Did they do the formal announcement and then you and Rachel were allowed to speak and be like, oh my God. Yeah, you're never, you, you absolutely have to wait for the um, production company to make the first announcement. So yeah, I think there was a there was a boo-boo. I was in a show and someone overheard me telling my parents they'd come to watch the show. Um, I won't drop anyone in it right now, but they overheard me telling my parents and they thought it might be a good idea to go on stage that night and congratulate me in front of the audience. So that was a tricky one because... I hadn't told the person but you know it all worked out in the end so we're fine fine. but no you're absolutely not allowed to say something it has to go through the right you know the right path because it makes it more exciting rather than a little kind of dribble of something it needs to be a big announcement and then you can say oh with relief I can tell everybody now so when that email you know when they did their wicked newsletter and everything and it all comes out do you not know who you're in the cast with at that point until you read it no I mean you listen you hear things and people talk and all of that but no very often you don't unless you know somebody well enough to ring them and trust them you don't know and so it's it's actually lovely to find out oh my god I, w- I worked with that person years ago and now I'm doing the show with them or I haven't worked with that person I really wanted to and yeah you don't you don't really know a thing it's all very hush hush I mean sometimes if you're going into costume fittings and things you bump into people and it's like ah. but no so how was that first conversation with Rachel when you were allowed to talk about it uh, just buzzing absolutely buzzing I think it literally went you know ring my partner ring my parents ring Rachel Tucker it was like kind of it was that but I was in Milton Keynes shopping center when I got the phone call and oh I can't I just I I get goosebumps thinking about it it just because it is that thing you you kind of been waiting for that massive break you know at that until that point I'd played many wonderful roles in small productions in big productions I'd understudied I'd been a swing I'd really grafted and worked my way up and so, so to hit this point where I'd been offered a massive role in a massive show was just unbelievable it was like oh my goodness it's happening and also I hadn't seen the show you hadn't no so I that blows my mind uh, well I didn't know whether it was a mistake or not but going back to what I was saying earlier as soon as I got the odd I'd see, listen I'd seen stuff all over YouTube sure and you know I, I, I knew the cast recording inside out but I'd never seen it. And of course, as soon as I got the audition, my instinct was go and watch the show. But I was chatting to a few people and I said, I think I'm not going to, I think I'm going to wait. I think I'm going to wait until I'm quite far into the audition, if I get far into the audition process. And then I'll go watch it just so I can establish my own take on it. Because I was also aware that up until that point, all the actresses who had already played her were all very different, really. I mean, there's the essence of Belinda is there, but you know, they'd all played her really differently. And I thought, I really need to find my own way. And then Petra, the associate director in the show, just said to me, she actually said, don't, don't go watch it. When I got about five auditions in, she said, just keep doing what you're doing. Don't get swayed or drawn into what someone else is doing. Just do what you're doing and make it your own. And so I, I did. And then we all went to watch it during rehearsals together. And me and Rachel sat there. And Rachel had obviously seen it before, but... I came out of there and I think I was so excited but also terrified 
because I'd seen it and I'd seen how massive it was and I'd seen how the audience responded to this show and these people. And I was like, oh my God, this is, this is even bigger than I imagined. And yeah, I was a bit nervous after that. What were those Glinda auditions like? Because we hear so often, there's so much talk about what it's like to go for Elphaba and the material, but what, what's, a, what's a textbook Glinda audition like? Oh gosh, from what I can remember, it's very much singing popular. Um, I can't remember what other song. Uh, I think there was some thank goodness in there. And also the opening, let us be glad, all of that. And the ah, high notes. Um, so I think you sing those three and then do a couple of scenes. But um I think by the end, I was literally prancing around that room, jumping up and down on my massive heels, just trying to be as ridiculous as humanly possible. And pick me, pick me. But uh, yeah, they were not really lovely auditions, actually. Considering it's for something so huge, you think they would be a lot more um, stressful. But I remember them being really enjoyable. Like I say, we hear so much about Alphabet, especially in terms of the challenges of, mm. of doing the role. And I'll ask you about that a bit later. Yeah. But what are the challenges of playing Glinda eight times a week? Um, of course, you've got all that very light uh, soprano, which, you know, for me, I had had to work on my soprano for years to be confident with it. At college, I definitely just saw myself as a, a big belter and... I really steered away from doing anything soprano. I was almost sort of a bit fearful of it. But my singing teacher, Mr. Brooks, said to me, I want you to come to opera class. I was like, you're having a laugh. I don't do opera. And he said, it'll be good for you and it will teach you how to use that side of your voice. And I'm so thankful to him for making me do that because it did. It gave me the confidence and I really enjoyed it. And I've used, I've used that technique so much in my career if I'm run down or tired or my voice isn't doing what I want it to do I can absolutely call upon that so of course all of that and keeping the perkiness throughout and also with Glinda people sometimes just think she's the quirky silly bubbly Glinda but there's a lot of you really have to work hard to find the truth and to make her believable and not just make her some caricature she's a real person she truly believes all the things that she's saying and so, yeah, that, that, that was the challenging bit for me, not to just switch on the funny bones and just try and make people laugh, but to just make her authentic. You played her for two contracts. Yeah. What are your favourite memories of, of that time with Glinda? Oh, so many. I mean, we talked about Rachel a lot in this, but the relationship that we formed, just such a, a tight relationship on stage and off. You just really trust somebody I remember if there were any times, which there were many, that one of us wasn't quite feeling it or not feeling well or whatever. And without even saying it, the other would lift the other person up and just give them a bit of a boost and say, come on. And when you're on stage with somebody who you, you, know, you admire and respect, you step it up. You step it up to be able to you know, match them on stage and give as much as they're giving. So that was wonderful. One of my favourite memories ever is being on stage with Mark Evans, who's playing Fierro. And it's really hard working with good friends because any little thing that they do that's not meant to happen, you could very quickly lose yourself and just lose it on stage. And I'll never, ever forget beginning of Act 2, did all of that section, and then Mark ran off up the stairs at the side and slipped and ended up in the splits. <sighs> on the stairs, like one leg up and one leg down. And I, it took everything I had not to lose it. And I think I just turned quickly to the back because I was thinking, I can't, 
I can't face the audience because they were laughing. And then I could hear him laughing in the wings. Then he was stood in the wings just like this. It was just one of those things. And all the ensemble were laughing, but trying not to, obviously. But it, that was hard. But there are so many wonderful memories. I mean, my last show as Glinda will just stay with me forever because obviously the first show was wonderful and everyone was very supportive. But the last show, when all those fans had been with you for two years, I felt like a pop star. Rightly so. And I didn't ex- I didn't expect it at all. They're up in the bubble, I'm feeling a little bit emotional because I'm like, just keep it together and enjoy your last show. Don't mess it up just because you're emotional. Love it, you know, embrace it. And came down in that bubble, they had to just hold, James Drazy had to just hold the, the orchestra while these amazing people in the audience just went nuts. And I just remember, I, could, I, could, I had to catch my breath because I was like, this is just insane. This is like... I feel like a pop star. And then I had to try and get myself under control to sing. You know, it's it was really tough, but also one of the most magical moments of my life. That was definitely, hands down, probably my favourite performance of Wicked I ever saw. Oh, it was brilliant. It was insane. And Rachel and I barely got through for good. We laugh about it still now. Because we got all the way through the song and we were really proud of ourselves. And then we got to the last four. Good. And that's all that came out. And it was just like, oh, thank goodness it was there and not halfway through the song. There were certain things that your Glinda did that no one else has done oh, um, or done quite the same. The toss, toss giggle was... <laughs> you know exactly what I'm talking about. Oh, gosh. I, just ridiculous. I don't know. I think I just tried it one day and they were like, please keep it in. And then it's that difficult thing of trying to make it natural every single time. Yeah, she was such fun. That was great. And um, a personal favourite moment vocally in No One Wants the Wicked, literally how you can make the words die alone. So honestly. (laughs) When I flipped from some soprano into some crazy I want a belt too, girl. Yeah. That bit. Yeah. Loved (laughs) it. Let me belt too. Let me have a go. Come on. Loved it. Is that what you said in your alphabet audition? Let me belt Just Let too. me have a go. Let me belt to us. Well, they asked me to audition. Um, they said, why don't you come in? And I, I literally said, I've said this in many interviews, can I sleep on it? Because I wanted to be sure that I felt I could do it. Mm-hmm. And there was loads of work to be done. And they knew it. I knew it. But they thought it was obviously good enough to work to go with and to put me in there. And um, yeah, epic. Can you remember the day you went in the first for the first one? Oh, yes. How did you feel? Um, absolutely, <laughs> want to swear, um, really nervous. <laughs> really nervous, even though the, the good thing was, I mean, they'd, they'd also were sneaking me in. They hadn't put anybody too close to my audition time because, you know, obviously if someone had seen me going in, there would have been talk and it would have just taken away the shine of it. It would have put a lot more pressure on it. If it was going to happen, yeah. And the good thing was that I knew the team so well. I'd worked with them for two years. And so that was a comfort to me walking in there. I felt like I was in safe hands. I felt like I wasn't being judged and that they were, you know, if it worked out, it worked out. If it didn't, it didn't. It was okay. But I wasn't expecting them to film me. I thought I was going to go back. I thought I was going to have a little go. And then if it was good enough, I'd go back another day and they'd film me. But no, it was straight into filming. But I remember I'd made a really conscious effort to try and make myself look as, uh, you know, as far away from as from Glinda as I possibly could and I'd been out and bought this black kind of gothic dress and flat leather boots and I just scraped all my hair back in a ponytail I wore not a scrap of makeup 
I just wanted them to not see Lou, Glinda, walk in the room. And I just wanted to feel like a different person walking in the room. So I really remember that. I remember the dress as clear as anything. And just, yeah, it was just so weird. I think I only had, I only had that audition and they sent the footage off. And I think I went back maybe one more time, if that. So it was just, what? You're actually casting me off that nonsense that I just did there. <laughs> How was getting that call? I Again, there's, like, there's certain moments that stick in your mind. There aren't many... Uh, times I've won a role and I can remember where I was but I remember being in my little village in my house and my agent ringing me and he was like you okay I was like yeah and I walked out of my house I just walked out left the door open walked out to this little green outside my house and he was like so does does green actually suit you I was like you're kidding me he's like you're going in you're playing alphabet and I just didn't know what to say I just, I had no words. I didn't know what to say. I didn't scream. I didn't like cry like I did with Glinda. I was just like, are you, are you serious? And then I think I went straight back indoors and put on the soundtrack just to kind of take it in, just to really listen to it and just think, wow, I'm going back and I'm going back as a whole new character and of all the characters in the world that I could play. My goodness. That was a brilliant conversation. Did it sink in in that moment that you were the first person in the world to do this? No. No, not at all. I sort of was... Not really. I mean, I remember... I remember the discussion being had when they'd offered it to me, saying, this is so exciting because Louise is the first actress that we've ever, ever done this with in the show's history. But it didn't really... All I could think of was... Honestly, all I could think of was, I just want to be painted green. I want to see I want to see what that looks like. That was the first thing. And then I was like, oh, crap, I've got to sing Define Gravity eight <laughs> times a week. Um, but, yeah, it, it didn't. that didn't really sink in. And, look, that's really lovely. I know that there are many actresses who have been on as both, who have understudied both roles, and, and at the end of the day, they've been on stage and played them. So I... I I know I'm very lucky and I, ha- I think I think I'm still the only actress who has actually been cast as both but you are and there are others out there who have been on stage as both so and I take my hat off to them because I know I know what a tough gig that is I believe there's one who's also played Nessa as well yes and done the two so maybe yeah. we need to go back and do that just to Morrible is my next <laughs> oh yeah. I'd love to see that give me a few years and I'm going back more from Louise in just a moment Thank you for listening to this episode of the Backstage With podcast. If you're enjoying it, please leave us a rating and a review while you're here. It only takes a few seconds. Just scroll down the page and tap those five stars. Now back to Louise. Green paint aside. Yeah. It's really funny. You are one of these people where you are such a chameleon in in the way you look that you are unrecognisable in every single role that you play. Like, (laughs) honestly, and I mean that, because some people, you you kind of look at them and you go, okay, they look like I'd expect them to look. Whereas you, you just take on this whole... I can't even put a word on it. I I can age up very well. Um, I don't know if I age down very well, but um, that's another part of being in this that I just love. I love the physical transformations. You go through the whole process in rehearsals trying to really find the character, find the truth, find how you want to play them and the story you want to tell. But until you get, until it all comes together and you look at yourself in the mirror and you really feel like that person then, it's, and that's the moment that it really all becomes, that it really all completes itself really. 
When I interviewed Stephen Schwartz, I asked him about this and I said, you know, this has only happened once as, as a principal casting. Yeah. And what was it about you that, that he was like, absolutely, this can happen? Oh, your face. I'm scared. No, no, no. He, he gave this such this wonderful answer where he said, when he's auditioning an alphabet or when he's watching an alphabet audition video, he looks for someone who has what could be a hole in their heart, like that, that vulnerability. Aww. And he said, but you had this, this, just this quality that you could just walk in and be this Glinda, you know, I don't want to say flouncy, but you know, where you yeah. can just walk in and, and do that whole popularity thing, but that you still had that, that quality where you could be just sitting in a room and had that hole in your, I'll send you the clip. Oh, how lovely. That is lovely. Because I said as well, could he see it happening again? He was like, it's very rare. Mm. So I just thought that was really nice. I wanted to share that with you. That is lovely. I feel, I do feel very very fortunate. How was it taking over from Rachel? I mean, who wants to take over from Rachel Tucker? Not me. Who wants that job? I don't want that job. No one wants it. It's always hard, especially when you know the actress. And listen, when it comes to the London production, we all know each other. And there's been a few things in the past where, you know, online polls and things that take place and you're kind of put up against each other and it's a bit of a popularity contest. And None of us really like it. Of course, it's flattering, but none of us really like it, especially when it's your mates out there as well. Despite what some people think of actresses in musical theatre, we're all very supportive of each other. And, um, well, I know my, my group of friends definitely are. And, you know, if you don't get a role, you want it to go to someone that you, you love and admire and who you just think is bloody brilliant. You're not going to be, you know, you go, you know, you win some, you lose some. But it is hard taking over from somebody, especially if it's a friend, because you just look and you just think they did such an epic job and I just want to be as good, but in my own way. And that, that, was a, that was a struggle for me. I remember a vocal coach coming in because I was just having difficulty finding how to do it. And I sang through Defying Gravity and she went, right, now sing it like you. Now sing it with your voice. I was like, what do you mean? She was like, you're, you, you're trying to sing like everyone else who's played it before. And that's not why you've been cast. You've been cast because of, you, you know, your talent as an actress and your voice. So sing it like you. And it, it took the weight off my shoulders because it made me go, okay, is that, is that okay? Yeah, that's okay. And, you know, I may not belt as high or through the rafters or do any of the extra little notes that some of the others can do and, hats off to them but I do what I do and I, I can't do any more than that and and for that for somebody to just say that to me out loud was a, a huge relief and it made me enjoy it a lot more and it made me look at her in a different way Elphaba I mean people get so wrapped up in the songs and the music and it's about so much more than that it's about her story that her character her passion her you know everything about her that is so wonderful and powerful it's got to be about that. It can't just be about who can sing the highest or the loudest. It's not, you know, that's no disrespect to anybody. It's like impressive. But of course, it's got to be about more than that. And that's what, what we all just strive to do. So we shouldn't be put up against each other competing. And I remember getting an email or a message from a fan once saying, you just sing the normal notes at the end of Defying Gravity. Um, and I think you should try this riff that this person did or this riff that this person did. No. And it really made me kind of go, oh, it made my heart sink and I deflated a bit because I just thought, is that all that matters? Is that all that matters about the character, what you do at the end of Defying Gravity? Oh. But I got over myself because, quite frankly, I went, well, I can't, so I can't do any of that. I can't do it. I can literally just about do, ah, 
yeah, that's all I can do. So that's all you're getting, quite frankly. So there we go. Oh, gosh. Have you ever watched yourself back or, you know, had a sneaky YouTube? Like once I've watched Alphabet and I can't do it again because um, I just pick, I I mean... I was it one that you were, that you like looked for? Was it a particular day that you were really no, proud of? No, I think I was sent it. Um, oh, right. I was uh, sent it and my friend, my lovely friend just went, you, if you're having a bad day, you need to watch this and remind yourself that, you know, mm-hmm. you're cracking, which is a lovely thing to do because we do all forget what we've achieved. If you're going through a bit of a moment of not much work or whatever, you forget everything that's come before. And so I braved it and watched it. But I, instead of being like, oh, yeah, that was really good. I was like, oh, Christ, that's a bit pitchy. And oh, dear, that's a bit shouty. And that's what I did. So I thought, don't watch it. I watch, tell you what I do watch um, every now and then. The Alan Titchmarsh video when me and Rachel went on the Alan Titchmarsh show. And it's just a really cute little video. Was that popular? Yeah. That's funny. To see us up close and to just to see that is, is really good fun. Nice memories. Alphabet's such a hard role. And when, when Kerry came on the podcast, she, she was like, oh my God, it should be a six show a week role. <laughs> we talk about that a lot. Do you agree with that? Cause... Yeah, I do. I mean, as Evita, I did seven shows a week. You know, for whatever reason, they don't do it. But I think it's massively vocally demanding, but it's also physically and emotionally, it just drains you completely. Like I was shut up playing Linda every night because it's a lot of energy. But I remember playing Alphabet going home just ruined every night, waking up every morning with a gruff voice like, oh my goodness, spending most of the day silent and steaming and trying to get it all revved up. And the bits that used to destroy you are the two show days. So you do two and then you just have a couple of days, then you do another two. So of course it would help and it would probably mean that we wouldn't have to go off as much because we'd be a little bit more fighting fit for it. But, you know, that's the gig. That's the role. And you have to kind of suck it up. And if no one else has done it, then you can't suddenly say, oh, I demand to do this. But um, yeah, it does. It blows my mind that it's an eight show a week gig. But you did it. Did it just about. <laughs> but... What was your favourite bit of the show, Glinda or Alphaba? Oh, awesome. Do you know, as Alphaba, I think I loved No Good Deed because I'm a bit of a, I kind of love the extremes. I love playing the comedy. And then I love the pure drama. As people will know with what I choose to sing, very often I like quite emotional. I can get into a very emotional song and really feel it. I just like that for some reason. But then on the flip side, I can be really stupid and silly and and love the comedy. So for me, No Good Deed was that with that pure angst and passion and desperation. I just loved it. And also it didn't didn't quite have those notes as Defying Gravity, so I didn't ever feel that fear. So as as a kind of a, a number, I think No Good Deed, but also popular playing both characters. <sighs> playing Glinda in popular was just hilarious. I just loved it. Um, and it just got more and more insane. But also looking at it on the flip side, just sat there just watching as Elphaba was also very funny. Just too many moments to pick. Did you ever have a moment where you looked at whoever you were playing opposite and go, God, I've, I've done that? Or, or did you ever have a moment where it just kind of messed with your head a little Gina bit? Gina Beck was my Glinda. Not really, because I really... There was a good 10 months between playing Linda and Alphaba and I really tried to just get into that mindset of going in with a different head on. And also Gina played it so different to how I played Linda and there were a couple of times when I would mess up a harmony in Loathing or For Good where I'd start singing her line and I still do it now if I ever have to sing For Good. 
but really those are the only bits the only times I've ever gone but I did look and you know there are certain moments I'd maybe be in the wings and watch and think oh I love that moment you know something I'm always interested to know how hard is it to not only sing Defying Gravity but when you're up there like I don't know what the contraption's like, yeah. but does it does it impinge on your ability? There ain't a lot of room. It's not like it's squeezing you, but you're on a you know you've got not got much room with your feet, so you just like got your feet together, and you you know you can't use your body. And with a song like that, you really need to use your body to get those notes out. But you kind of get used to it. You almost go into technical mode a little bit, like you do the the last little section before you run back and get in and get clipped in, and it's me. And you come forward and you kind of get into a a technical place you just have to because you can't just fl- throw yourself around in order to get the notes I remember once when uh, the lift wasn't working and so I just had to run to the front of the stage and I don't know whether it was adrenaline or what but it was so much easier because <laughs> I've just stood there like and I could really use my body and and bend my legs and it you know it's bizarre but um yeah it's hard but you kind of get used to it what happens when that when that happens and you are and you run to the front and you're trying to process all of that in about three seconds? Yeah. Are you able to kind of get comfortable and see? Oh, I might play with it today, or are you just like, oh, got to get through this? Gotta no, get through it's, this. it's a little bit. Got to get through this because it only ever happened once, and you know it's going to happen because you just get a pat on the back and it's um, Plan B or something they say something like that, and you just you you're like, oh my god, I've never done this, and you never really practice it. You're just told run to the front and do it there. So you're just trying to concentrate and just focus and not freak out about all these people around you where they're not normally around you. Yeah, it's, no, there's, there's no room to think, oh, I might pl- try this a little bit differently. You're just going, <laughs> just power through, get through it. How was that one time, though, when, when, you've, when Glinda is there? Because like, your, your, your vision would be completely different, oh, wouldn't so it? Oh, so different. I remember all of the guards had to sink down a bit, so I was, like, over them. So they were all, like... <laughs> on their knees looking up get her get her I was like well you could just grab me really because I'm right here (laughs) it was it was actually very funny came off laughing how did you recover from from that part before you went on to do sideshow I can't even remember I think I just probably didn't sing for about a month just completely rested my voice yeah just enjoyed all the other bits and pieces that I was doing and sideshow was another just brilliant brilliant show and something really new for me with it being at the Southwark Playhouse in a tiny little venue we could literally see the whites of people's eyes it was um really interesting to do that in a completely different because I usually quite like the audience being a little bit away so you don't feel too exposed but having them right there to the point you could reach out and touch them which you know freaked me out a bit but um it was brilliant I loved that production it looked like you formed a real bond with Laura Pitt-Pulford adore that woman I have made the most amazing friends in the shows I've been in, but to be attached to somebody, it takes a lot, you know, because like any human being, if you're attached to them all day in rehearsals, it can become frustrating. You can become hot and bothered. You can just be having a bad day and that can just irritate you. And we used to always say to each other, but let's just be really honest and open with each other. And if we're having a bad one or we're hot and bothered or irritated, we'll just say, let's get out. Let's get out of these spanks that are joining us and just have a bit of a breather. That was really important. But yeah, we would just, I mean, we couldn't look more different if we tried, but for some reason with all the wigs on and the costumes and our relationship that we built off stage and on, that just made it real. It made it like we were really sisters and, and she's one of my 
dearest friends in the world now. I'd always watched Laura and her work and just thought how wonderful she is as an actress. And so to work with her, I was like, this is great. I've got, she's my sis. Love it. It's always lovely to see you pop up in concerts on TV and, you know, events at the Albert Hall in big dresses and such. <laughs> yeah. I'm hope, obviously hoping um, when things go back to normal, there'll be lots more of that to come. Yeah, um, me too. And your albums are fabulous, I have to say. Um, Thank you. I I just started, I just finished university. I was just starting work when It's Time came out. And oh, okay. I, I used to listen to it on my night shifts Aww. when I was a runner um, at Daybreak back in oh, the day. Okay. Um, oh, wow. And it, so I'd be like putting all the newspapers out, listening to its time in my head. And honestly, I just associate that time with Home from the Wiz and The Perfect Aww. Year, just on repeat. You see, that album I recorded whilst I was playing Alphaba. And I remember being a bit frustrated because the album was taking forever because I couldn't do what I did with Glinda and go in like a few days a week. It was like some weeks I'd go in one day and it'd only be for a couple of hours. And other weeks I'd go, I can't come in, I have to rest my voice. So it just took forever. And even now I listen to it and I'm like, my voice sounds tired. It sounds tired. I can hear it. So yeah, it's a, it, that's a weird one for me. I feel like if I did it again, I could do it better. Then we had the, the one in 2018. For me, for you. For yeah, me, for you, to me, to me, to you, to me, to for you, me. for me, to you. <laughs> for you, for me, isn't it? Or something like that. <laughs> Some, yeah, one yeah. of those. Your website says there's another one on the way, I believe. Well, my website is so out of date, don't listen to it. I'm the most disorganised person when it comes to things like this. I need to get on it. I do have another album coming out really soon, but it's something really different. It's called Bedtime Baby, and it's a lullabies album. Oh. So I decided I wanted to do it when Willow was a baby and never got round to it. But um, about, I don't know, eight between like eight and nine months ago, I guess, um, I started recording it. Uh, ben Robbins, who's produced three of my albums, um, he's my producer and he's done a brilliant job and I just wanted it to be a gorgeous collection of children's songs and lullabies that were soothing, hopefully, to both the adult and the child. Because what I found when I'd be doing night feeds with Willow, I couldn't find anything, it was either something very twee, slightly irritating sounding, or just instrumentals like orchestrations with no vocals on. So I wanted a nice mix of the two. And we've also incorporated lots of beautiful sounds like the ocean waves and the wind blowing and birds tweeting and all those things that are supposed to um, send you into a bit of a meditative state. So yeah, I'm really proud of it. I've got one more song to record, which we did everything before lockdown, but there's one that we haven't been able to do. And I'm doing that on Friday and that's an original. Oh, exciting. Yeah. It must be really hard to find things to listen to at 3am that don't make you angry. Yeah. So it used to very often be that white noise thing, you know, where you just put on these, or you just put on like rainforest sounds and that would just go for an hour and you'd be like lulling into it. But sometimes you just want to hear something. It's almost like you're being sung to sleep as well, you know, just something relaxing. So yeah, I'm I'm really excited to get that out there. I, I feel like we announced it so long ago in lockdown, but it's, um, we just want to get it right. We want it to be perfect. It's going to be downloadable only. Because as a parent who's got time to go and stick a CD player and you don't know what room you're going to be in, but of course it can still be gifted. Someone can still buy it on iTunes and gift it to somebody. So I'm hoping people will love it. Do you have any dream collaborators, people that you haven't worked with before that you'd love to? That's a good one. That's a really good one. I'm sure there are tons of people. You know, when you ask a question, you can't think of anybody. (gasps) Do you want another question in the meantime? Think about it. Yeah. Is there a male role you'd like to play? Jean Valjean, two four six oh one. You got the part. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>
You see, you answered that too quickly. Now we have to go back to the dream <laughs> collaborators question. Do you know what? I always see different people all the time. I think I'd love to do something with them. Oh, like all in my head, I could think of a Celine Dion. <laughs> I mean, I, I'd buy a ticket. I'm sorry, ticket as if this. Celine is ever going to go, come on then. Oh, gosh. Yeah. But um, I love her. I would just absolutely, you know, that would be ridiculous. Um, who else? Who else? Come on, Dimon. Obviously, this isn't going to happen. But somebody like, and I know this is all pop people, by the way, George Michael, George Michael and his voice. I just loved him, love him. So that would have been amazing. That would be amazing. Oh God, just, all I can think of is people that I have collaborated with. You look at someone like Josh Groban and I'm like, oh my God, that happened. See, that's, that's sort of one step removed from Celine Dion, really, if you think about it. Yeah. He's sung with Celine. I've sung with Josh. The next step is surely the most natural thing for me and Celine to come together. You see, you said that's you said it's it's crazy, but I don't think it is. It's pretty crazy. Just come on now. She's coming. Yeah. She's coming. She's doing the O2 next year. I've done the O2. Exactly. Listen, it's so... just quite frankly, I'd stand behind her in the dark and duet with her. So make it happen. <laughs> I could do tell him if Babs isn't available. We could do tell him, and I'll do Babs's part. Okay, I feel like if we just got her agent on the phone, we could make this happen. Okay, go listen, go for your life, and I'll wait for the comedy emails to come. Don't, because I will try. <laughs> when I saw, I remember when um, Ramin Grimley got to sing with Streisand, is it Hyde Park? Yeah, yeah. I was like, go on, mate, what a gig. My goodness me, that is epic. Oh, Someone like Audra McDonald as well. I just remember her, her voice. I just remember listening to her in ragtime and just being like, oh, and now... Yeah, that would be really cool. Well, you've been over there and you've done all the Scott Allen stuff. I need to get back there again, really, don't I? Yeah, because you did that lovely track with Julia Murney where yes. he stitched two songs together. Yeah, yeah. Might be another little Scott Allen collab coming soon. Oh, oh intriguing. Cryptic. Tease that. Yes. Um, well, listen, I won't take up any more of your time. Thank you so much for doing this. It's uh, been such a pleasure to, to chat to you. It's been brilliant. Thank you so much for having me. No, thank you for, for sharing your story so openly and for delving back into your memories from it, 1998. It takes a lot of effort, trust me, dear. This, <laughs> this brain, goodness me. Well, that's it for this week's episode. If you want to watch Louisa's Umbrella Rooms concert that we talked about a little bit earlier, just head to their Twitter page, at Umbrella Rooms. Next time on the podcast, I'll be joined by Harry Francis to talk about A Chorus Line, his Cats in Quarantine video, and much more. Subscribe now to make sure you don't miss it, and you can follow Backstage With on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. Just use the links in the description. A huge thank you to Louise and to Wayne Perry, and thank you very much for listening. Listener.